Hey everyone, just before we get into this week's episode, we want to thank our sponsors for today, the Medical Defence Union. The MDU support doctors facing medical legal issues and are the market leaders for indemnity in the UK, being also run by doctors. Become a member today to access their 24-hour medical legal helpline and other cool resources, including their free online CPD courses and journals. Check them out on their socials for guidance and advice, including their exciting competitions. Let's get back to the show everyone welcome back to another episode of the scrubbed in podcast i hope you've all been keeping well this week we've got another amazing guest who you may all know as the digital doc online dr suheb mts a quick bio he's a board certified lifestyle medicine i know you're all probably thinking what on earth is that don't worry he'll give us the lowdown he's a nhs clinical entrepreneur fellow he's a vp innovation at all waves and he's super interested and keen about all things data tech wholeness and well-being thanks for coming on to the show Suheb how are you I'm well thanks for having me on the show guys um, I'm excited to do this definitely awesome. we were gonna start we were obviously we were recording um, and have a conversation before we hit record and we we're talking about lifestyle medicine and it kind of being getting stick lately in the media so kind of run through us and our listeners what lifestyle medicine is and what does a board certified lifestyle medicine doctor mean um, that's a good insight or a good place to start. So I get asked this question a lot, actually. So that's a very interesting starting point. So um, mm. lifestyle medicine basically encompasses um, nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress, social relationships and behavior change and how it all comes together. So in med school, we don't get much mm. teaching on, on these areas. Um, however, they are um, essential for prevention, for preventing disease. So... The American College of Lifestyle Medicine was formed quite a few years ago and it was pushing um, lifestyle medicine. When I went for my elective in 2017, I did one of their courses and I really enjoyed it um, because I learned so much. And by the time I came back and started F1, um, I learned that the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine was forming slash launching. So I joined and the international body announced that they will be doing their first exam in lifestyle medicine um, in 2018. So I signed up for that, started to revise and gave the exam. And by passing the exam, doing a few case studies and attending a few conferences, uh, I became board certified in quote unquote lifestyle medicine. So what that essentially means is that uh, enables me to more confidently give advice in the realms of nutrition, exercise, sleep, um, and um, stress management um, and really help um, change people's behavior. So I was interested in that because I have a massive interest in tech, probably my primary interest. And Mm. I always had an interest when I applied for medicine in human performance and health optimization and how Mm. we can push our cognition, our physical abilities to the maximum, but also prevent disease from happening. So that's in a shell what lifestyle medicine is. Perfect. I think it's something you're right which isn't taught in medicine but i feel is one of the most important things yeah in medicine and it's a shame it's not being taught um so in terms of uh, it, so it's clearly not being taught in med school and i wholeheartedly agree that it should be why is it getting so much stick in social media in the news and by our colleagues i i think yeah that's i think a lot of the times, because a lot of the lifestyle medicine, the, the, the content, it overlaps with what other professionals do, such as nutritionists, um, personal trainers, mm-hmm. physios, um, psychologists, therapists. 
um, and medicine is quite hierarchical. So um, they see it maybe sometimes mm. as something that's not as important. And also with that, I think obviously wellness and wellness can be quite commercial. We're in a public health system, um, not a private system. Yeah. So when you're talking about not only eradicating disease, because that's quite a long term outcome, but you're talking about how to make people feel happier today, have more energy today, sleep better, or lose weight it can have quite a lot of um, application to everyone, basically the whole population. But um, sometimes it can have a lot of yeah. commercial element because there are a lot of um, companies that work in this space already. So I think a lot of partnerships and brand partnerships and commercials, because they so normally promote similar messages, that's why I think a lot of other doctors sometimes don't take well to lifestyle medicine. And it's quite new. We don't like new things. We don't like change. We don't like um that's true you know Absolutely. something you've always done if nothing something new comes up and you've missed you're like okay i didn't have that when i was in f1 this wasn't really mm. an option then you kind of i think it's that feelings of maybe some people even actually probably feel like they wish they would have maybe learned about it or um got involved earlier i, I feel like um we're, we're always banging on about holistic care and um only yesterday i was seeing a patient in fact where medically absolutely clear but she was absolutely stressed out with her sort of life circumstances. I mean, the psych team came and so And I think in that moment, right, what you need to do is just give well-being advice. How she could, again, how she can manage her diet because she wasn't eating as well, eating healthily. She wasn't sleeping very well. And I think as medics, we're pushed to over-medicalize everything. Give medications, give Zopiclone for sleep and diazepam and all of that jazz. And I think... I, to be honest, I think lifestyle medicine will become a key skill for all of us to have in, in a couple of years' time. And I, I don't understand the sort of, the roadblocks that have been put in place currently. Exactly. Currently uh, by you said that really well because um, it's we're going for quick fixes at the moment, and obviously that you need that for disease states, and that's really important as well. But if we can uh, mm. upstream, prevent some of these things, a lot of people just don't know what the healthy behaviors are or don't have the circumstances or environment to enable those healthy behaviors um, and then it's too late most of your habits are formed by the age of 13 right so um, it can become yeah. difficult later on to change um, obviously it is possible but you need help from coaching etc so if that capacity is available it's, it's worth it and yeah doctors are that point of call because people generally respect doctors and really listen to them there's been a few studies so when i was doing revising for my exam there's a lot of um, studies quoted which showed that a doctor's behavior themselves in their lifestyle impacted how the patient would behave as well. And if a doctor was, say, mm -hmm. healthier, their patients would also be healthier. Um, I don't know the validity of this study particularly, but there was another more valid one which showed that if a doctor told you to lose weight, you were more likely to lose weight because the gravity the doctor-patient relationship has. Um, and that's why a lot of people do say that why can't, obviously other professionals are doing a lot of this as well. But I think as a doctor to know yeah. the fundamentals of health is a massive um, gap and would be a massive blind spot in you moving forward with improving someone's health. Definitely agree. I agree. Um, and kind of moving on, and this is what I want to touch on, is obviously you kind of are very well immersed in the world of tech, health tech specifically. You got work at Always. Where did it all start? Where did you kind of develop this passion for tech? Where did you develop this passion for entrepreneurship? business yeah. kind of walk us through medicine how you got into med school even the masters you did in public health kind of take us all the way back to the beginning of that journey because um, i think a lot of our listeners will find value in that 
Yeah, so that's actually a very interesting question. Um, I guess serendipity is one way to put it, but um, um, <laughs> to put it... Um, Creating that serendipity vehicle. <laughs> but um, I guess it, it was slightly planned and, a, and slight um, risk-taking as well. So let's go back to mm-hmm. 14, doing my GCSEs, are quite, quite nerdy, quite academic, worked really hard. GCSE results day and I get 11A stars and surprisingly come top 10 in the country for business studies out of thousands of people and also came top 10 in the country for GCSE statistics and also came top 10 in the country for GCSE just like computer science information and communication technology so yeah those three awards showed that my strengths were in kind of data handling um computer science, tech, and business, entrepreneurship, innovation. But my A-levels, I decided to choose chemistry, physics, biology, maths, right? <laughs> so I kind of give up on what I'm, what I'd say I was, I was lucky to be um, all right at, right? So that's obviously a big decision. You, you make it at 16, we can only choose four subjects. So back then you have to decide on if you want to do medicine. Um, and 2008, that's when the last recession happened. So that's when a lot of these successful companies today were formed. And the Googles of the world, the Amazon software developers, that's when that kind of career was really just taking off. And these unicorns we see today were forming. At that point, there wasn't that much kind of job prospects or um, publicity around these type of roles. Um, And I was really interested in health as well. So I was always interested in kind of how to improve health, well-being. Um, And medicine is just very interesting. So made a choice could have done economics computer science medicine so chose medicine um did my a levels um worked really hard again a level results day got my offer from cambridge um christ college oh, wow. got four a stars at a level and then i made a big decision i turned down my offer from cambridge put them as my insurance and put manchester as my firm because I live in Hold Manchester. on, hold on, hold on. Wait. Say that, say that again. <laughs> say yes. that, hold on, say that again. So this is a bit of a crazy story, yeah. <laughs> so got my offer, Cambridge Christ College. It was the most competitive college in Cambridge that year, actually. Yeah. So yeah, because <laughs> I, I applied for kids. People ask me, why did you apply if you weren't going to go? So the thing is, medicine's really random. In terms of applications, you don't know what can happen with any uni. It doesn't mean that if you get into Oxbridge, you, mm. you'll 100% get into other unis. Everyone's criteria is just so different, yeah. right? So you can't just hedge your bets. So I looked at my academics and I was like, okay, I'm quite strong academically. So actually, like it sounds bizarre to people, but I actually probably had a better chance at getting into Cambridge than Manchester because Manchester is based on the UK CAT, which is a two hour or I don't know how long it is an exam, Mm. which on the day, if I'm not feeling my best or I've got a headache or, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not performing well. um, I'm, I'm kind of putting my whole application Mm. on. I could easily mess that up. So, um, my, my aim was obviously to stay at home in Manchester just because I liked the Manchester course in terms of... Because um, I had these diverse interests from before. I knew I, I would probably wouldn't be practicing clinical medicine even when I, when I went into medicine, like fully full-time, maybe part-time. Um, so yeah. Cambridge was a very academic course and it had a lot of prestige attached to it. So obviously there's a lot of pressure from family, yeah. friends mm-hmm. of going to Cambridge. So when I'd applied, I got in, it was like a no brainer to go, but I was like, wait a minute, let me think of quality of life as well and other things I'm interested in. 
Manchester's PBL, two, three days in a week. You have time to play tennis, socialize, you know, grow in so many other aspects, you know, do some tech stuff. A lot more flexible. Whereas Cambridge, I heard there was Saturday lectures, weekly writing of supervisions. Yeah. <laughs> just, like weekly essays. It just wasn't worth it when we we're all going to do that F1 job of typing on a computer on a ward round. <laughs> so it just didn't make sense. Of- yeah, what's interesting, I think we should title this the medic who turned down Cambridge Med. But it's, it's <laughs> funny, there's like... Two comes of people, right? They're, bro, you'd have been a YouTuber instead of the educator. <laughs> so it's interesting. At 18, a lot of people, they will take any offer they can get a medicine, especially at Cambridge. They'll be yeah. like, yeah, whatever it takes. I want to go to Cambridge. I want to study medicine. But it kind of shows a bit of how in advance or how in the future you are living, even at that age where at 18, 19, you were able to make a decision about quality of life, free time in such a competitive world. Because I'm sure if you had, if anyone else had the opportunity to go to Cambridge, they'll be like, yeah, sign me up but the fact that you were able to make that conscious decision i think is amazing man at, at the age of 18 I'll, if it was me what would you do I'm, <laughs> no, no, i'll no. take it straight i'll close my eyes get on the first train there <laughs> I'm not, but coming, yeah, it's not coming back <laughs> like i've never met anyone that's turned down medicine but secondly it's not just about turning down medicine there was a reason there was thinking and logic behind it especially when you're so tunnel vision sitting right now today having finished our foundation training what he said, the quality of life, that's the thing that we value so much right now. When we're looking at the job we want to take up or the post we want, we're all looking to now, can I, like he said, can I play yeah, tennis? Yeah, but that's fine. It's yeah. in hindsight, right? But he did this at 18. So hey, you, did, you were thinking yeah, yeah. like this at 18 when I'm thinking like this when I'm 26 or 7, right? I was always a bit weird. <laughs> you were living ahead of your in, times, man. I told you, you living in 2013. I love the future. Like, you were ahead yeah. of your time. So you got into med school at Manchester or rather you picked to go to Manchester opposed to Cambridge. How was med school? Kind of talk through that process. What were some of the struggles you faced? What did you love about it? So, yeah, so got into Manchester. Um, so another part of my decision making was also saving costs, Cambridge moving out, six years, accommodation, etc. all adds up, right? Student loans. At home, I was lucky. I was in the £3,000 a year um, cohort. Mm. Oh, wow. So um, mm. I didn't have mm. to move out. Uh, no costs. Um, quite fortunate that instead of taking a loan, I said to my, my dad that if you could, pay this and then we could you know settle it instead of having to pay any interest or anything like that mm-hmm. um so that meant that i could graduate with like almost zero debt right as well so i thought mm. about like kind of finance as well um and as well as time because i can outsource a lot of the stuff i was doing through uni living at home it's like economies of scale right as you live mm-hmm. as a family or help out whereas when you're living by yourself it's great for independence and growth and that's what i did later in 2015 when i went to imperial but um I was wanted to get involved in as many things as possible and not having to occupy my time with um, more kind of um, tasks that can be more mundane, you could say, mm-hmm. um, and kind of maximize my time. So, yeah, got into Manchester. Obviously, med school was a massive step up from, from school. And I kind of lost my um, bit of my drive just to kind of academically achieve, I would say, because mm-hmm. I was like, I've been there, done that kind of feeling. And it just yeah. didn't have that same dopamine rush of doing mm. well because i'm like what's the next step and i was like i'm just gonna keep doing this for the rest of my life and the next hurdle the next hurdle the next hurdle then you then you kind of die right mm. and there's more like meaning to life and um because at gcse and a level i was very focused like studying was like that's all i kind of did yeah so then uh yeah kind of reinvented myself uh quite social took part in a lot of societies mm. made a lot of friends became more confident um kind of a lot of personal growth and um yeah that was probably more important for me than my than academics really because i think that's paid more dividends than anything 
anything else really the connections you i've been able to make and the friendships i've made so yeah so obviously med school is hard has ups and downs yeah i got through first to starting my clinical years and i was like hmm, i can't imagine doing this full time so i looked at intercalating and the master of public health was kind of mostly online so another part of me i love virtual i've always loved virtual because i'm like <laughs> if i can save time getting commute dressed up and i can use that time in the gym or my friends or doing what i enjoy that's worth it i'm all about efficiency and productivity yeah. so i chose that masters um so um did that in public health it was good but there were parts of it that i enjoyed more and it was more the the business side the mm. management those kind of things so i was like hmm, i've still got this itch i remembered i liked tech and i enjoyed those subjects like before med school kind of took over everything else right yeah so then i got re-immersed so 2014 in this world of tech um, and I made a decision before going back to final year that, okay, I'm intercalating. I want to intercalate again at Imperial Business School. Um, so I proposed to my medical school. I don't want to go back to final year. I want to go to business school. And they mm -hmm. said, no. Um, they were like, that's not really what we recommend. Um, mm -hmm. two years out before finals is very risky and you'll probably struggle with finals. Um, but they said you can do a PhD if you want, and I was like, I'm not. <laughs> you can do a PhD. I was like, why would I do a PhD? Yeah. And I was like, what's the logic? Because a PhD is three years, exactly. so you're happy with me doing three years and then coming back to final year, <laughs> but not two years. But they were like, if you've done a master's, there's no benefit of you. But I was like, look, if if I'm learning chemistry, if I got a BSc in chemistry, getting a BSc in physics is a complete different skill set. Yeah. It doesn't mean that. You know, if I'm going to business school, it's different to my master in public health. It's just I want to acquire those skills, and I feel I actually want to move out as well. And yeah. and and um, London is is great for networking and great mm. for collaboration with companies and finding out what's happening and, and kind of innovation in tech space. So I knew that I really wanted to go. I I had a feeling that I really have to just push for this. And my my best friend, he was actually going to Imperial, so he'd taken a year out and and gone to traveling, and he'd done prepared for the usmle and he'd done things like stock trading and uh, his dad has a business so he did some different things um and he was actually really smart he came top of our year okay. so um he said he wants to do a bsc in cardiology at imperial as well so i was like, i want to go to the business school so eventually with a lot of to and froing i kind of um used quite a few different mechanisms but i basically got through to <laughs> negotiate it it was difficult i mean it was very difficult I but imagine, yeah. yeah um thanks to medical school I, I got to go in the end and i went and that's when the real immersion in tech started um mm. business school um, business school is so different to medical school um everyone's very different in terms of everyone's very collaborative it's very um um a lot of events happening you have to attend a lot of things um it's just like hyper growth it's not it's not a lot of memorizing it's more um um collaborating on projects and things like yeah. that so yeah, so when I was in London, uh, I heard Tony Young speak and he talked mm. about launching the entrepreneur program. So whilst I was networking, getting involved in tech at the business school and doing all these projects and finding my, my feet again of something I enjoyed when I was 16, mm. uh, probably on par with, with health and medicine or maybe even more, uh, I got into entrepreneurship and innovation and I heard him speak, got involved with all the societies in London and... Then I came back to final year and I took up another task. So I had four months to revise for finals yeah. after two years of not doing anything <laughs> in medicine. So I'd forgotten a lot. So that was a challenge. So I basically 
got my head down, worked past finals in January. And then whilst doing that, though, I also up took, up took this, this is a Harvard course in entrepreneurship. So Harvard just launched their online platform. Mm -hmm. So I enrolled on the entrepreneurship course four weeks, paid like, I think it was like two, 1K, it was introductory pricing or something. Mm -hmm. And I had these amazing professors. They teach so well on online platform. Like it's so much better than med school. Like yeah. they're so engaging that it, it was an amazing experience, the quality of the Harvard Business School faculty. And I really enjoyed it. And then passed finals and then applied for entrepreneur program in February, had my interview, got on. And then I was like, okay, now F1's going to start. Um, let's keep exploring. So went on my elective, did the lifestyle medicine stuff and started F1. So where did you go for your electives? Yeah, where where was go? that? Was that tech based, entrepreneurial based or was that like a pure chemical yeah, uh, so, medicine based? Yeah, so I was looking at a few things like consulting and also um, doing it with tech companies. But the thing was, I worked really hard for my finals. And then I was like, hmm, I don't want I don't I don't want a very organized elective in terms of you're told yeah. what to do. I see. So um, my family originally from Pakistan, I'm from Islamabad. So um, I there's a, there's a dermatologist who was trained in like lasers and stuff in, in the yeah. UK. And then he moved back to Islamabad in his private clinic. Yeah. So he was pretty flexible. And I love tech. He had a lot of machines. So I was actually interested in dermatology yeah. due to all the tech they use. They use nice. so much tech. Um, so I asked, uh, I, I connected with him and kind of family friends as well. So um, he was like, yeah, you can come and come to my clinic in the evenings. And then the National Incubation Center was launching in Pakistan, the capital. Mm -hmm. So I was, it's a good time for me to get growth and learn about the tech, especially health tech in what's happening there. Because if that develops as an economy, I'll yeah. be first and I'm well positioned with my healthcare expertise, business expertise and tech mm. expertise to bring all three together and have that USP. So in the day I used to kind of, obviously my family are based out there as well. So I used to like maybe chill shows with friends, have some fun, you know, see a few, um, you know, sites and things, uh, go to the gym, et cetera. And then like, yeah. I would go to like these lectures at the National Incubation Center network, see what startups are happening. Um, so a lot of international speakers from like Germany and because it's the capital so they had a lot mm. of budget to bring in like ambassadors and all these kind of high high profile people so networking with them and then in the evenings I would go to the derm clinic and that was quite fun as well it was like very bespoke and like little, I saw all these machines being used so that was my elective and came back launched to F1 and then this entrepreneur program you have pit stops every month so it was a learning journey mm. continuation of kind of my intercalations really so learning step by step and you asked about O-Wave, so got to the end of, I was in F1 and exploring the, pace, the space, networking. And that's when um, I heard a podcast by Royan Kamiar, who's the CEO of O-Waves. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because he had an MD and he also had an MBA, um, which mm -hmm. is quite a normal thing in America, by the way. A lot of doctors have MBAs there, actually, um, um, which is not really, in the UK, it's not that common. Um, it's getting more common, I think. Um, so, and he was a founder of a startup. So he was into kind of health, well-being, human performance, and also tech and business. So I was like, I really need him as a mentor. So, because on the on the clinical entrepreneur program, I had Jack Kreindler, who's the head of the Center of Health and Human Performance. So he was yeah, quite good. Yeah. He was guiding me through through everything as well. But then I was like, this guy sounds very um, interesting. So we actually just had a phone call and it went really well. And he was like, actually, I would love for you to you you're, you're board certified in lifestyle now. I gave my exam by the way as well, lifestyle in F one. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was the first exam, so I was like, let's take this opportunity and give it now because then you're, then you're part of the first cohort for history. Yeah. And I think that has more value than when it gets saturated because anything 
is supply and demand. As supply increases, demand will decrease. So if yeah. you're first in a space, inevitably the demand is more. And that's a big thing with startups. Timing is everything. Absolutely. So I was like, I, I want to be first before everyone starts doing it and it becomes such not not, not becomes as much value as it has yeah, now. Definitely. Yeah. So um yeah, oh wave. So he was like, We have a lot of synergies. I'd love you to come on as VP of innovation. Um and yeah, for F two I started with um yeah, started working with O Waves kind of like a part time basis on equity terms it progressed so working with the interns working on the marketing giving ideas and clinical advice and how we can kind of develop the app so for those who don't know tell us a little bit about always and um sort of what it involves and what attracted you to always itself okay so always is a wellness tech startup in the mental health space that's quite a mouthful so Mm. originally it was a calendar planning app Mm. which Mm -hmm. uses circadian science um, which is your sleep and wake cycle. I won't go into it too much here because mm-hmm. that could go on for, <laughs> it could get boring <laughs> to the listeners. Um, and so it helps you plan your day um, visually and it helps people with ADHD and similar disorders um, help visualize mm-hmm. kind of time planning. Um, the vision of it was to help college students tackle mental health if they can plan mm-hmm. their day and plan nutrition, health, exercise into their day. Um, it's proven that they're healthier because we're hit by a lot of mental health problems, especially in students with suicide. Yeah. So then we wanted coaching on this virtual platform as well and wanted like insights into how to optimize um, your circadian rhythm. So what's the best time, you know, chronotypes, waking up, sleeping, etc. But that comes with the data. So we're gathering the data for that. Mm. Um, so because it had the synergy of tech and the CTO was this guy from Amazon, Chris. Um, mm. He's an AI guy. Um, so he drew my interest because I was like, hey, that's something I want to find out more about. I was getting more into AI um, by the day. And then Royan had the synergies with me as well as um, it being based in California. And you know, California, Silicon Valley is where all the disruption is happening. So all those factors were a massive pull for me yeah. to nice. um, start with O-Waves. Because sometimes when opportunity comes, you just have to roll with it after you've done Definitely. your slight due diligence right yeah absolutely so that's what tracks from always and at the moment we're launching 3.0 in september and that's where you can see everyone's um day plans so you can see your friends day plans different time ah, zones ah, now nice. everyone. yeah so you can be like okay in australia if you've got a friend what are they doing now what time is it so you can add your circle you can add your circle to your feed so it's just like so you go on it and you can see okay my mother's doing this my whatever's doing this across the world and the times are there and you can like kind of communicate as well so that's the new launch that we're working on and just signed a deal with the eric topples um scripts institute so that's big that's working on personalized medicine yeah precision medicine so yeah um i was lucky i mean good timing so f2 was taken up i started my own podcast the body clock podcast where i got yeah Yeah. behavioral scientists and sleep scientists and all those kind of people um and interviewed them on everything tech and wellness um so i was gonna say it just reminded me and and I think we mentioned before that snippet of when so you can clearly tell for you you are always the one thing I like is you are always about self-growth always learning always trying to improve yourself and taking opportunities as they come um, which kind of brings me on to that story which I heard which I was just laughing when was as an F1 you came into the ward round and you wanted an Alexa or you said something about Alexa it just showed how you're someone that is able to see and visualize deficits in the system and see how tech can naturally help it so tell us about that experience because i thought it was quite a funny story 
Um, and tell us the advantage of health tech. Like, why is tech so important and why do we need more doctors, especially senior doctors and consultants, to be a bit more receptive to it all? Oh, yeah, that story. <laughs> so you heard about um, what happened. Yeah, I guess at that point, I think um, that's actually quite a funny story because um, I was new yeah. in terms of obviously the doctor and I was quite bright eyed and uh, futuristic, like you guys have said. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I came into the system thinking, you know, let's break things, but not break things. Obviously, we want to improve people's health, but I mean, in terms mm. of improving the system. So I thought it was easier than it actually is. And I guess you have those blind spots when you're young and mm. you think that, okay, if this tech is being used elsewhere in retail and, you know, if, if my experience going to a, to get my haircut is so much better than going to a hospital, then why can't hospitals be like this? Or, yeah. Um, that's what's happening in California. Or why can't this happen here? So uh, a bit tunnel vision. So came in, uh, I think it was my first on call mm. and I got this thing, like this archaic thing, the bleep, obviously I'd see Obviously, I'd, I'd seen it before in med school and stuff. And um, it just seemed a very <laughs> technologically very, very archaic, archaic <laughs> device. <laughs> like, I mean, the screen, if you can't hardly even read it. Mm. So I got bleeped at handover about five or six times. And I actually didn't know it wasn't easy to use. I didn't know how to um, flip between the numbers at that point. The first time I'd actually uh, held it. So... Um, I came into the surgical seminar room and the med red, no, surgical red, she was, she was like, you didn't reply to your bleep. And I said, I got like five bleeps at once. So how can I possibly remember the numbers in my mind? Yeah. Um, I wasn't fast enough because at that time everyone bleeped. And then she was like, I was like, this is very like outdated technology. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and she was like <laughs> yeah she, she was very yeah she was very she didn't take to it nicely she was like um i do does it look like i care wow <laughs> and i was just like a bit taken aback like no i'm just saying that there could be better mechanisms um <laughs> and it's interesting because i think matt hancock announced last last this year or last year that yeah he's getting rid of all pages from the nhs so actually yeah whatsapp to her that article um and <laughs> she was she was i was like hey how are you doing and she was i'm well i'm at this hospital etc i was like oh yeah by the way yeah. um just an update yeah. <laughs> good banter with her. she was nice yeah. we, we got on in the end she was nice yeah, it was yeah. just um i thought it'd be funny and she was like laughing she was like i'll have to see it to believe it no, um so hopefully that happens now <laughs> no, definitely. so i'm right and then on the ward round it was yeah i got tired of just typing I'm not yeah. good at typing. I'll be honest. Yeah. Like, that's uh, that's something they're like for a tech guy. Like your typing really sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've had that in the hospital. <laughs> like, because um, I'm all about voice, right? I'm all the future. I yeah, want yeah. <laughs> me to speak and the typing mm. to be done. I don't feel yeah, like yeah. the labor should be there. <laughs> but tech so, anyway. that exists, so it's, it's it's not even like you're asking for much. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, exactly. It, it it does exist. Exactly. It's it's something which I mean. I use my Alexa for everything. Um, mm to remind me of things so i was like on the water outside of ordering scans and things and i was like a lot of this could just be automated and done easy and could spend more time with the patient and learning mm. so um i think i was with the urologist and i said you know what we could use alexa on this on a ward round and he just turned around and looked at me <laughs> with the strangest <laughs> look and he was like i think you're crazy <laughs> like because obviously he'd never been exposed to tech he wasn't he didn't know anything yeah. about it he didn't know there's a wave coming of tech because if you're yeah. in a medical circle, you're very just about just what you've been taught and you're very in this kind of bubble. So you don't yeah. realize. Um, and my point was just like, if I say, 
request x-ray you know you can verify for my voice or thumbprint or whatever and that can be mm. done without you having know, to type the windows crash there's different software for requesting to mm. to typing the patient's notes and it's just all the mess the battery runs out there's so many different issues um so yeah it was just one of those kind of outlandish comments i made and a similar one actually on the stroke ward i with the stroke patients rehab i was like virtual reality could be quite good for physio yeah. and <laughs> Again, the same thing happened. He looked at me. And he was like, we live in the real. World. We live in the real world. <laughs> he goes, we live in the real world. Um, so yeah, there's some of the funny like actually with tech. But hopefully now with COVID, I mean, yeah, I want to go back to some of the people and ask them like, what do you uh, COVID has yeah, really how, how highlighted the value of tech in a lot of spheres, and I think medicine and surgery especially have um, really benefited. I mean. Uh, the ENT surgeon we um, interviewed a couple of weeks ago, he's now started up a tele service as well, which is first oh, nice. of its kind. Um, so, yeah, COVID has really, really opened a lot of doctors' eyes, I think, to tech and its, its um, opportunities to enhance, which is pretty amazing. Exactly, because what's happened is previously you had to kind of promote tech. It's all about the culture. That's what the, all the innovation companies said. And people are just mm. willing to accept. They're so busy in their day anyway. They don't want to mm. um, entertain new ideas. And it's, it's obviously a lot of people are overwhelmed. And they don't understand what tech is at times. So it becomes scary and like, mm, we don't really want that. Do we trust privacy, data security? But now, because of COVID, you've been pushed to use it because it's almost been pushed upon the system. Yeah. So then when you get immersed in it, you're like, wow, actually, this makes my life a lot easier. It makes it the patient's so much life easier, a lot better. Yeah. So then yeah. once you're immersed in something and you realize it, it's a lot easier than you can yourself become an advocate. And that's what's happening. So about this estimate, about five to 10 years, definitely like we've had, like otherwise this would have taken about five to 10 years to happen. And Easily. COVID yeah. in think, like six months. Yeah. Is. So from a, from a different perspective, actually, like COVID is, is, is as bad as it's been for so many people and it's been really unfortunate that it's happened and it's disrupted so many lives. And, mm. But in terms of like long term, I think mm. if we could cumulatively add the, up the, how tech will help in the next 10 years, I think there'll be a massive benefit as well. Um, and it'll help a lot yeah. of people kind of detect things yeah. like cancers, etc. a lot earlier. Yeah, yeah. you said something interesting, which was um, uh, that a lot of us are actually afraid. I think the, the naive opinion is that tech might replace us. And I was listening to a podcast um, and I forgot I forgot who it was, but it was a radiologist and they were saying, it's not about AI or tech replacing us. It's about how we can manipulate those algorithms and those sort of AI um, functionalities for us to become better efficient at picking up, at reporting and so forth. So I think, I think a lot of us do fear being replaced. I was speaking to another colleague yesterday and he was talking about how um, COVID and tele uh, consultations with general practice. He became he was quite frightened of. He was a GPST mm. too, and he was frightened if tech would replace him and if he would no longer be seeing patients. And I think that's where the sort of um, mm. barriers are. From. Yeah, to take it up. So yeah, we're we're very scared. That's a, that's a good point. Um, so I went to a conference, an AI conference actually, um, last year, and what they were saying is, yeah, a lot of the kind of mundane admin tasks can easily be replaced yeah, um, yeah. computers are good at pattern recognition mm. they're good at h repeatedly doing a high quality of work once the inputs are quite consistent and yeah. the machine learning algorithms have enough data to have worked out patterns but machines can never really unless elon musk comes up with some amazing <laughs> Neuralink, Neuralink, which i mean yeah. on the cards above Neuralink advances that much which is a long way away um replacing any sort of emotional behavior any sort of connection and that's yeah. the kind of role of a doctor of communication and that's what 
AI does poorly. So almost as a doctor, it's better to bank on your, um, obviously knowledge is important right now, but yeah. on your kind of communication, emotional skills, all those soft skills, mm, yeah. um, because that cannot be replicated by AI. But AIs will, 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 will more augment you. So, I mean, a lot of the times, like, I know doctors, like, because I can be very proud of, like, how much they can remember etc but it's just <laughs> a lot of cognitive biases and we can't as humans like i mean I think we should not have an ego and say mm. look okay we've worked hard we've trained hard but look we can forget things we're humans we don't mm. in the in the moment with your patient you're not remembering things like kumar and clark exactly. like, yeah. <laughs> you know but a computer system can be augmenting you like whilst you're doing a telemedicine consult if everything is i would if i was a patient yeah i don't care how like i just want the best service Mm, I don't exactly. care if the doctor's got like, it, like the doctor does it himself or he uses a machine as well to come with it. I just want, I just want my health to be better. So a exactly. doctor showing off that they're, they're amazing doesn't add any impact to my life as a patient. So if a doctor is give, being given information, it's not like an exam. We're not cheating, mm. right? Mm. It's yeah. actually just the whole, the whole outcome of health is to make someone better. So technology can enable like giving you, okay, you missed this question. This you could use facial recognition this is how the patient is feeling if you miss a cue because yeah. we all perceive things differently like however training we get people perceive people differently right um telling you the latest guidelines what's an update on a screen or um prompting you and, and those prompts i think can yeah. really improve healthcare so uh, i think augmentation definitely and i think we need to see it like that as a adjunct as something that enhances us augments us and makes us better clinicians allowing us to give a better service um and I think that will happen. It's just probably a matter of time and we're getting there. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, how do you see the new generation or the new cohort of medical students? Do you think that a lot of tech will be incorporated, a lot of all this lifestyle medicine? Do you see the medical curriculum changing to kind of get these medical students ready for when they do an F1? And I can imagine in five, six years, there will there might even be an Alexa on the wards do you f- how do you kind of envision that and see that turning out yeah i mean i think it will have to change and i think there is a lot of work being done to change and there's a lot of um different schemes now that, that are occurring i mean i gave a so I'm, I'm kind of a founding faculty member of this digital health track in an american medical school yeah. um so at always reagan she worked at always as well um, yeah. now she's left um so she was like hey you know a lot about tech I would love if you kind of with me kind of make this digital health curriculum and, and become a speaker for the course. So mm. I virtually delivered a talk actually in America two, two three months ago yeah, and it was nice. recorded. So that, their medical students got it inside to all the companies in the space, what tech is, what health tech means, etc. Yeah. Um, kind of like a primer. So it's happening over there and, and lifestyle medicine also. Um, it's just, it depends. The, now with public health being disbanded yesterday, they're saying GPs are going to do a lot of the lifestyle stuff anyway. Mm. So yeah, I see as an as lifestyle is going to become part of the curriculum for sure. And same with tech, um, they'll Definitely need doctors who understand that. like coding and how it works and just just the fundamentals of the processes. And there could be modules. There'll be definitely more interclations and more interest. And I've seen a lot of a lot of medical students now seem to be wanting to be entrepreneurs and founders. I mean, well, I think when I was graduate it was only I only graduated twenty seventeen, but at that time it was the only the beginning. There was very few of us. There's yeah. very, mm. very few. So I think I was at the start of that curve. And now there's a mm. lot more. So you can see how it will be in a few years' time. But yeah, Definitely, it's needed. Yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, agree. to be fair, I'm also, I find entrepreneurship quite exciting as well. The kind of, you're not, mm. you don't know what can happen. Obviously, it's a massive risk. And entrepreneurs actually have the worst mental health because of the stress mm. and uncertainty. 
but I think it takes a certain personality to embrace that risk. Definitely, I agree. And I'm sure as as time goes on, we'll see a lot more entrepreneurs, a lot more coders, developers, those type of skill sets being manifested in medical students. I don't think it, exactly. It, I don't. Yeah, and I, I remember someone tweeted or something, and I said. Um, a lot of medical students are founders first and medical students second. And you can see this new yeah. wave of like bright Definitely. sparks coming through. I know a few people that similar to you have done a master's in data science, computer science, and you can yeah. just see the advantage of a medic being able to code. Yeah, You kind of big. don't need yeah. to kind of translate what you want to a coder who most often will do his own little you know that that ability is is amazing i'm super looking forward to the future that's why um there's been a development mm. with no code solutions so i think even the real value of coding might decrease because no code will change that in terms of like you can so gpt3 just came out right and that's where you can type let's say you want to how you want an app or whatever or a page to look like and it will just produce it based on your typing so that's a change as well where You'll, you'll have to understand, obviously, UX, UI, and all of that. That could take a lot of the coding element maybe out of it as well if there's a lot of advancements in that. So, yeah, continuously evolving. Tech is, like, really exciting. And actually, recently, I've been part of this exclusive community called Clubhouse. Um, and the amount I've learned is just amazing because... Um, so, Clubhouse is a social consumer. So, I'm actually quite interested in social consumer space as well because social relationships mm. is a big part of lifestyle medicine. And so, it's an audio-only app. And they started with celebrities and Silicon Valley investors and tech bros. Um, and at the moment, there's only 5,000 people. So they're in private beta. So I think I wrote an app review on my Substack. So I write, write on Substack, The Digital Doctor. Um, and I was reviewing. So I, was, I beta trial a lot of apps. I've always been interested in it. So I've been doing it for a few years, like always the early testers and give feedback. So I was testing these apps and I wrote a piece. And then someone from Silicon Valley read it and they were like, hey, here's an invite code. Because the invite codes at the moment are going for like 10K on, on eBay even. Because they're very hard to get. It's very exclusive. But um, it's a very interesting um, look into what tech companies and people working in tech are. And they're very collaborative, very helpful. And it's actually, they have very deep conversations as well. Um, so I've been taking part in that. So Clubhouse has been really good in terms of just finding out what's happening in tech. And it moves so fast. There's changes per day. So the founders of that um, are trying to build a new audio social app. And it's very private at the moment, um, mm. very exclusive, mm. but they want to open it up to the public soon. So I've been part of this very curated community of like 5,000 people for the last week. Um, and we've had people yeah. like Oprah and um, even people like MC oh, wow. Hammer. Oh, wow. You wouldn't expect to be on there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and John Mayer came into one of the rooms. But it's mostly a lot of, a lot of it is actually investors, tech bros, um, mm. media people. Mm. Um, it's a wide range of people, but it's, they want people who can speak well and um, can host and grow this community into this kind of intellectual but also this creative space and um, yeah there's been a lot of hype around it as well um, yeah. and I've just been on that like all this it's, it's disrupted my lifestyle in terms of sleep yeah. and circadian rhythm because California time is eight there's eight hour difference and yeah oh, it'd be good when they open up to the public that's what they're aiming to do um, yeah. but yeah it, it's been really good so yeah I enjoy everything kind of anything tech consumer social also health and, and wellness and um that's kind of what I'm interested in. And with regards to medical students, you see more on social media now as well. Um, mm, I think yeah. I, I went public in like my profile more in like 2017, but I was more like posting personal stuff and a few doctor things, but not really. But now it's like I'm posting a lot more and I've seen other doctors like collaborate. And so it's so much better to meet people in different geographies. Otherwise, yeah, we're yeah. in life, we're constrained to the geography we live in. Like when I was in London, 
there was a lot yeah. more networking than I, I did than I was in Manchester. But in a virtual world, the hmm. geography doesn't come into it. So it's an equalizer. I think it's a great yeah. equalizer because Definitely. you can reach out to anyone anywhere at any time. Definitely. And I, I, think, yeah. I completely agree with that. I think, um, so during the early years of med school, we're obviously in that small little bubble. Everyone thinks the same. The ideas are all the same. same. And once you start meeting different people, and you've just hit me quite hard, I think, in terms of the fact that when you do all of this virtually, um, there is no geographical limit. Um, that's quite powerful. That's very powerful. Very Thanks. Powerful. Um, I mean, I've been, I think I've been a proponent of this <laughs> for, for a while. <laughs> And, 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 and it's just happening. One of my friends was like, wait, weren't you dreaming of this virtual world? <laughs> like Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Definitely. And I can see like it happening a lot. And I'm, I think it's starting to happen in the medical world. You've got like virtual ward rounds or virtual ground rounds I saw. Yeah. With oh, yeah, Professor Shafi and like kind of connecting all the different medics and surgeons across the world. I think, like you said, virtual remotely working remotely doing things is a lot easier a lot more things can be achieved and a lot more collaborative efforts um i'm super looking forward to the to the future um, you're probably already there definitely so i'm looking forward to joining yeah. you <laughs> um, I love you the yeah um i'm conscious of time and thank you for kind of taking the time out to speak to us but what advice would you give to other medical students junior doctors that kind of want to enter the sphere the realm of entrepreneurship that want to enter the tech world but maybe haven't been exposed maybe haven't had the opportunity to do a a a degree at imperial business school what advice would you give to those individuals so my number one advice would be to start reading listening to podcasts like yourself watching videos um, and not only networking but communicating with people in the space and forming those connections on linkedin twitter i think social media is very powerful i guess a lot of um stick like you said um and it can be tricky at times but i think there's no other way of putting yourself out there rather than social media and people to discover you because you're putting yourself into a platform where you're discoverable so if you have an interest in something you always want to read about it you always want to show that you're passionate so you'll already be keeping up with the news and that speaks for itself and then there's a lot of opportunities so once you network people reach, reach out to you once you have a profile going or you're kind of posting about a certain topic and you have some type of domain expertise or niche to offer and it it's slow it starts slowly right and it compounds mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of the the compound compounding of growth and before so one partnership turns into three which turns into five so it really does grow and same with like um writing so there's a lot of different mediums whatever you're strong at start with that and take risks um the harvard business school online platform that was new so whenever something's new after doing my due diligence, I'm always like, yes, I'm like, I want to try this, right? And being part of that first cohort of online Harvard Business School, like that, that course yeah. I did for like a few months, um, yeah. it wasn't the same in the next cohorts because what they eventually did was they took off the live lectures and just made them recorded. But mm-hmm. I got to live from Manchester, yeah. communicate with these Harvard professors um, when they were living, because they were excited about this new program yeah. and they were like, to get people on board, we'll do it live. So yeah. I made these connections with these business school professors. So whenever something's new, I think that is a big opportunity for you to kind of make a name for yourself in that space and take a risk. Don't, and also don't care what people think. I think I used to care what people thought previously and that did help hold me back. I mean, I would have probably started a YouTube channel if I was more confident back then. Yeah. <laughs> and by now, you know, because over time things grow. Yeah. But then at that time, you're always thinking, because medical, like you guys are very well said, and I'm glad, I'm glad you, you guys are doing this and showcasing a lot of this. Um, I think it's needed. Um, 
you're always thinking, okay, next day I'm going to med school. What's my friend going to say? Why are you doing this? Because we all have this, because everything is so similar in med school. You all have the same exactly, classes yeah, to an extent, yeah. et cetera. And anyone doing something different is almost looked down upon or it's like, yeah. why is he? Medics are very competitive. So I'd removed myself from that medic frame. I never thought of myself as a medic, even though I am. Um, yeah. I kind of was like, like any other degree, like, like economic mm. students, computer science, all these other psychology. Um, they don't have that kind of... Tr- that strong tribe as medics seem to have yeah, once yeah. you kind of detach yourself from that you don't really care what the other medics are thinking um, and it gives you that freedom of thought and choice and taking opportunities I so agree. i think in the virtual world we live in take your opportunities don't be shy of reaching out to people in america or somewhere else just because um, you think it's it's different they'll be interested to see what's happening in the uk and if you have something of value to offer people yeah. will um, um reciprocate as well definitely sound advice i think that's that. amazing that's, advice that's really amazing and i hope our listeners that are maybe a bit anxious and a bit worried if there is something if there is an opportunity go for it um but yeah thank you for kind of taking the time out i really enjoyed this conversation um it's kind of refreshing to get different people that do lots of different and interesting things and you're definitely up yeah. there um you befit the title of the digital doctor um, Thanks. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah completely. Like, that so, was a random name. I was like, a lot of people ask me why digital. <laughs> yeah, but having you know, when people speak to you and see the stuff you're putting out in the content, it, it kind of makes sense. And it's like your brand. That's your personal brand and image. And I know if I ever have a question about something or if I'm not too familiar, confused about a piece of tech in the med world, I can just send you a message and you'll be like, you know, you can explain it down for me. But yeah. Um, a massive thank you and a f- a thank you to all the listeners who yeah, have been tuning in on a weekly basis um, this was very inspiring it's inspired me for the future alone thank you Saheb thank you uh, thank you guys thank you for having me I really enjoyed it it was really great touching base with you guys and I see what you guys have been doing and it's been really good I follow your page and yeah. it's really really interesting um, the content you put out there and you're showcasing all these people doing different things yeah, and, thank you so um, much bro um, I'm, I'm thankful yeah and if anyone wants to follow me it's Dr. Sabim Tiaz on Instagram and I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn and Definitely. I've been writing my Substack. So if anyone's interested in finding out more about tech or wellness, uh, that's what I'm focusing on, but also like behavior science as well. Um, and yeah, I'll keep um, everyone updated. Definitely. Um, we will obviously for all our listeners, as we always do, we'll leave all the description. We'll leave um, a bit of bio about Sahib. We'll leave all the links and handles so you can get to him. And I'm sure Sahib is alright for people to reach out to you and kind of get in touch if they have any questions. Yep, um, that's yeah. um, completely fine. Yeah, spot on. Thanks, guys. Um, no worries. Thank you.